0: Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin.
1: God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated
0: R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Today I am joined by Lee Harlow, but no Jeremy Fisk. No, this week we'll be subbing in Brantley Palmer from the Granite State. That's right. Right, Brantley? Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, it is. That's it's such a good state name. We are the Beaver State, which is, you know, <laughs> not as nice. And this week, we are going to be looking at another film from 1999, possibly the greatest year in cinematic history, Stanley Kubrick's final film, Eyes Wide Shut. And then we're going to wrap it up with our top five long nights in films. Look,
1: women don't. They basically just don't think like that. Millions of years of evolution, right? Men have to stick it in every place they can. But for women, women it is just about security and commitment and uh, whatever the fuck else. A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that. If you men only knew. I'll tell you what I do, know: is you got a little stoned tonight. You've been trying to pick a fight with me and now you're trying to make me jealous. You've never been jealous about me, have you? No, I haven't. And why haven't you ever been jealous about me? Well, I don't know, Alice. Maybe because you're my wife, and I know you would never be unfaithful to me.
0: You are very, very sure of yourself, aren't you?
1: No. I'm sure of you. (laughs) Do you think that's funny?
0: Okay, so guys, um, thank you for agreeing to do this film with me. Um, It's a movie I am fascinated with, and I want to just really quickly go over why I'm fascinated by it. Um, this is Stanley Kubrick's last film. Stanley Kubrick is a filmmaker who uh, he, who, who who may be one of our greatest filmmakers ever, um, and I I hope we can you know maybe talk a little bit about what we like and dislike about Kubrick and kind of where he lands for you guys um, in you know sort of the pantheon of directors. Um, but there's a lot of other reasons I'm interested in it. Um, one, uh, it holds the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> For the longest continuous film shoot, um, they spent over 400 days shooting this film. Um, which, Jeez. if you've ever worked on a film set, or if you're Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy had to sit this one out because of that particular statistic. He couldn't handle that. No, I'm just kidding. He's been very busy at work. But, <laughs> yeah, but um, literally, just <laughs> uh, we asked him to so comment depressed. on it, and he wouldn't even think about it. So, um, <laughs> and so famously, this movie like took forever to shoot. It was like. Years uh, I think, like, 15 months. Um, and I think it's a really interesting to think about sort of specifically where, like, Tom Cruise was when this film was made. Was made. Um, he started shooting this in 1996, and 1996 was a rather big year for Tom Cruise. He uh, made Jerry Maguire and Mission Impossible both in that same year. Those were the third and fourth biggest movies of 1996. He was nominated for an Oscar for Jerry Maguire. Um, and then he agrees to... I mean, seemingly that's uh, a at the peak of his career. Um, go work for Stanley Kubrick for what amounted to about two years. He didn't have another movie come out until 1999, which was the release of this film, and I think Magnolia. Um, and I just I find that fascinating. Um, the film uh, Kubrick died before the film was released. He presented um, a cut to Warner Brothers and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman um, six days before he died. And so famously or infamously, I should say the, um, some of the more graphic sex scenes, uh, in the, I guess specifically in that the orgy scene, which will, I, I assume we'll talk about, um, were modified with CGI, like characters blocking the kind of the, the more gratuitous sex scenes, um, again, Stanley Kubrick's wishes, but I guess they were kind of in a pickle. And, um, and I guess I think what, what I'm so fascinated by with this movie is, is also just like, I think somewhere in the back of his mind, Kubrick must have known this possibly could have been his last movie. Um, he hadn't made a movie since I, uh, Full Metal Jacket, which came out 12 years before Eyes Wide Shut. Um, and you know, he's not the kind of director who was like making commercials in the meantime or, um, you know, working on TV. He really just had his movies and for some reason didn't make one for 12 years. Um, and so I, I think, you know, with that in the back of his mind, there must've been some thought that this might be his last movie. Um, and so with that said, I'm interested to see kind of what you guys think this film is about. I know that's a very general question, but, um, I mean, to me, I think we think of Kubrick as a very kind of rich and and deep filmmaker who has a lot of themes in his films. And I think with the context of this being his last film, what to you guys is this movie about?
2: Well, (laughs) yeah. Do you want to feel that firstly?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's a really good question because, you know, as I was doing some reading on Eyes Wide Shut, you know, the, this question, or, or some variation of this question comes up a lot, you know, this was marketed and um, and kind of expected to be an, a, an erotic thriller of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was, you know, some arguments about whether or not that is what it actually is about or what the genre is. So I don't know that there's a, it, uh, this is a good question because I don't think there's a, a right answer. I think this is hugely up to interpretation and in some ways, like you know, while I do think this is about you know, um, kind of uh, your our, our inner desires and kind of you know what makes us what makes us do the things we do and 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 what makes us uh, perhaps even more importantly what makes us uh, choose not to do certain things and and I think you know that's I guess kind of the theme of the movie but for me and this is a little bit of what I think um, might answer your question regarding what I think of Kubrick is like, this is in many ways, kind of an epitome of his work. Like I always think of Kubrick and I just think mood. Like I just, that is what resonates through his movies more than anything uh, is, is the mood, which is sort of a hard thing to describe. But when you watch this movie, you understand it. When you watch The Shining, you understand it. Uh, When you watch Space Odyssey, you understand it. And that's something that Kubrick does perhaps better than any other director so you know I don't think about what this movie is about all that much when I watch it I think about how it makes you feel I think how you know I I think to certain ways it helps makes me reflect on certain things and not that I have any real relationship with the you know conflicts that these characters have but I do think that there is something about what they're going through that makes you kind of think about okay if I was in this situation okay if I you know, was if I had this relationship or if I ran into, you know, this, if I ended up at this orgy and to, as opposed to the other ones. I mean, you know, I...
0: I Yours aren't I, quite as fancy, right?
1: No, no, no. They're much more low budget, but... Um, Working
2: man's orgies.
1: right? Yeah, blue collar. Yeah. <laughs> like the one in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's about, like, I, I guess if what this movie's about is it's it's about... You know decision making and what those decisions can lead to and the consequences of them and mm-hmm. that ranges from the broader big picture to you know more specific lines of dialogue like um, when Tom Cruise finds out that the the prostitute he met earlier in the film tested positive for HIV and like you know that seemed like a very surface level almost poorly written piece of dialogue in this movie but it was sort of a microcosm of you know there are consequences of the decisions we make. And, you know, maybe
2: that's just
1: all this movie is about, and they just kind of cover it in many different ways.
2: Yeah, it's really good thoughts, Lee. It, um, it, before I – I'll talk kind of, I think, that your point about mood is is um, excellent with Kubrick's films. I, I totally agree. Obviously, you know, everything in this film from, like, the lighting and his use of color to um, – the. I found the score, like, really – uh, interesting. It's a very simple kind of piano score, but that was just always had the, so good, you this though. Yeah, it gave you the sense of, like, anticipation and foreboding and I, I just, I really, really um, that's what I was, like, kept thinking about as the movie was going on more and more. Like, how, how much that really just set the tone um, along with the visuals, obviously. Um, and I completely agree. Like, the idea that, like, you know, it, it's about decision making and how you can go down these paths and, and possibly choose these dangerous ones are these ones that can have all these consequences. Um, and I think he's really, like, playing with a bunch of other themes uh, in this film as well. Like, class is a big one, I think, that he's, he's um, you know, exploring and, and, you know, what the – both the ultra-wealthy, you know, like, can do with their power and class, but also, like, um, even when you look at, like, Tom Cruise's character, Dr. Bill – you know, it's amazing to me when watching it, how much he was manipulating and paying off like working class people. And yet he's still this sort of lackey to the the higher up. So he's kind of examining all these different levels of class within the film. Um, I, I think obviously it's about desire and longing and choices one makes, like you were saying, Lee. Um, I wonder, too, if Kubrick is kind of playing with this idea of like misogyny, Um you know, like, there's that long convo they're having when they're smoking. I think it was in the weed smoking scene where he's talking about, like, men have the, the need to kind of go out and, you know, are off, always desiring women and things like that. And that women are, like, different than men. Um, and I, I think this movie obviously explores how, like, men use women for their pleasure and stuff. Um, so I, I think he's maybe kind of having, like, using misogyny, too, as a theme uh, in the film as well. Um, yeah, what do you think, Japin?
0: yeah, I think you guys are all on the money. I mean, I think uh Bradley, you brought up um desire in our in our um text back and forth about what we were gonna talk about, and i I think that's a really good one. I mean, I don't you know there on the surface there is all all this sort of sex stuff um but i I, I the more I watch the film, the more I feel like it's not about sex really mm. um mm-hmm. to me I mean, this is i think you brought this up uh what you just said Rentley, like the idea of of class and and to me it's about des- like a desire for you know for something that um the sort of the unattainable or or the, the, the you know the, the, i guess in in a sort of a summary the you know always looking you know for over the fence at your neighbors you know greener pastures or whatever you know the grass yep. is always greener on the other side it seems like you know uh Dr. Bill, it, Tom Cruise's character is um you know kind of fascinated with uh, not not fascinated with but 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 intrigued by um the sort of the ultra rich. He he we mm-hmm. we see that he is kind of a uh, you know pays house calls to these like you know these these presumably billionaires, these people with these uh, uh, ridiculous houses um and he's attending that the Christmas party where he helps um uh, Stanley, not Stanley, um, Sydney Pollock's character out of a jam um, and he visits the, the, that woman who is uh, just died um, in, in another grand house. And, and I mean, and, and what's strange is that they also have quite a decadent life. They've got a sort of an, a, a beautiful apartment, but he seems sort of on the, on the, like you said, he, he's kind of like a working man to these, you know, to the ultra rich and mm-hmm. he you know aspires to maybe be like them and then he's got this sort of bug in his head from his wife that that she um you know once had a fantasy about about another man and that leads him down this road of exploring like you know what other sexual kind of um avenues are there out there for me what other opportunities are there and and you know where where can i go and this sort of no, this man with this sort of boring life i mean we see his sort of daily routine and they they have like a it's it's very sort of aesthetically pleasing i mean you see nicole kidman naked (laughs) you see uh you see tom cruise you know examine a very a very busty you know almost model person i mean it's very it's very strange but it's all very conventional and it seems like they are those two characters are very bored with their life and then um and then this this event happens after after that after this Christmas party, and it sets Doctor Bill on the, on this journey of you know kind of f- exploring both you know this world of you know the ultra rich, but also of you know s- desire and sexuality. And I think it's it's kind of about that that like you're always sort of looking for the next you know for for something better or something different.
2: Yeah, I I, I think it was a really good point about. Um It's not really about sex. I think Kubrick uses the visuals of sex kind of as a metaphor for that lust for power or wealth or, like, whatever it is. And I think we also see that, in many ways, he's showing us that um, Cruz is sort of, like, kind of imprisoned, or we all are imprisoned by this desire, right? Like, he's always framed within... Like, especially when he went to the uh, house again, like, the next day, and he's, like, framed within the gate as if he's, like, behind bars, essentially, Mm -hmm. trapped in this, like desire to constantly be um you know looking for what's like you say on the other side of the fence and everything and and wanting more so i i couldn't agree more with what you're saying chapin
0: so can i ask you guys like with what i said about how long this film took to make and we should give some context to that you know 400 day a 400 day shoot a 100 day shoot is a long shoot for a movie Mm -hmm. um it's not unheard of but um you know a, a perfectionist like David Fincher often has shoots about that long, but you know we're talking about a movie four times as long as that. And this isn't like Cleopatra or, you know, I don't know, some one of the, pirates the Irishman. Of the, yeah, one of these one of these movies that you know is is you know sort of very cons- obviously complicated um it seems kind of simple and i think that was another thing that went you know there was so much controversy surrounding this movie and while i was doing my research i, I found an article that that w- came out about you know how long the film was was shooting for and there was a bit about how uh, there was a summary of what people thought that the plot was and it was completely wrong completely wrong and yeah um
1: it's supposed to be like that they were both uh Psychiatrist. Psychiatrists yeah. having affairs or something yeah. with their and partners. Yeah, it was just yeah. totally
0: wrong. So I'm 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 wondering like I don't know like what do, do you guys see? Is there any evidence to suggest like what was going on in Kubrick's mind in this movie, um, like on screen?
1: Well, well, no. It, it just in terms of like his his attention to detail and what was taking him so long.
0: Yeah, I mean, like when you look at this and well, you say this this movie they you know they spent four you know a, a, a year and a half making it.
1: Well, no, I don't. I don't feel like you do see that, but that's a good thing. Like if you're watching this and just, and and being like, oh my god, no wonder it took him four hundred days to shoot. Then that means there's something wrong. But like, if anything, it's the opposite. And now. Does that mean it should have taken that long? Like that that scene in the, the billiard room uh, towards the end when Cruz is talking to Sidney Pollack and it was supposed to take like six hours and it took three weeks. <laughs> um, you know, you're watching that and everything seems right. It's well, you know, I guess it, it was very specifically choreographed, of course, and, you know, I'm sure every line of dialogue took multiple takes and every you know, everything had to be just so. And that's what made it take so long. But there, as you're watching the movie, you're not looking at it and saying, like, God, that must have taken forever to shoot. Or you can see why that scene took a long time. And so they almost seem separate. Like the the, the Guinness World Book of Record 400-day shoot is, almost, is, is an interesting fact that seemingly has nothing to do with everything we see in this movie. And I don't know if you guys agree with that, but to me, it seems very separate. like almost no, I... what's interesting is that like th- as as well made as this movie is, like there's so much of it that just seems like a low budget thriller. Like I think about that scene you mentioned Brantley outside the gate uh, when he goes back to the house and that's like one of the few times that the music really picks up and gets loud and that like piano note is really loud. And then you get mm-hmm. handed this like silly typed <laughs> like <laughs> uh, threatening threatening note that they zoom in on. Like, I felt like this was a movie I made when I was 18, and I'm like, this. I think that's the point. I think this is supposed to feel like low-budget thriller-esque. But mm-hmm. obviously everything is very polished and done so well. And But I think there was a point there.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Lee, in terms of... But, well, both points about it. It does, in many ways, feel like a low-budget thriller. Um, I, I don't know why Kubrick did that. I don't know if, like, you know, what he's trying to say with that. I don't know... Um, if that was like an intention of like playing with the genre in some way. Um, but I also, I did not hear the fact about this was the Guinness Booker world record holder for longest shoot. And I would totally agree. There's nothing I see on screen when watching this that would make me think they needed 400 days to shoot this. Like the, the only thing I could possibly think is that there are a lot of locations in this film. And, it, you know, maybe like but even the scouting and stuff, that's all pre-production. You know, like finding the right hotel lobby with a red carpet because you really want to hit those red and blue colors and things like that in that scene with Alan Cumming or whatever or finding the right place on the street where there's like red light that's going to be glowing around um, Tom Cruise the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Christmas lights were hugely intentional too. Oh, Oh, yeah. To
0: make it look like New York when it was entirely filmed in England.
2: Yeah, but see, but all of that even is... That's all pre-production stuff. Like you just show up, you show up and and shoot. Like um, after those have already been scouted and set up. So I don't, I can't see anything in this film that would make me say like, oh yeah, that makes sense that it took four hundred days to. Aside shoot. from the fact that
1: it's Kubrick, and I mean that's us knowing his reputation, yeah. and mm-hmm. you the,
0: know, the one thing I'll say I, is, and maybe this can move into a, a bit more into the you know the the meat of the movie. Um, but I, I would say like. I remember when I watched Full Metal Jacket, I was sort of surprised the first time I saw it how much, and I think even when I revisit it, how much of the movie's running time is is, is made up of that the stuff on um, dirt, when they're in um, you know uh, boot oh, no, camp, on Paris Island, yeah, yeah, on Paris Island, <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like that was not the plan. I mean, when you want to make the sort of the 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 Vietnam movie, which I think was kind of his intention, like you don't think of. Um, the boot camp aspect is the most interesting part of it but i think he found something there that was you know wasn't interesting and i think it's like the best part of the movie really but um -hmm. i'm 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 you see hints of that in eyes wide shut you see you know the the christmas party at the beginning of the film um i mean it takes up so much screen time um and so Mm -hmm. does the orgy um which is more important which is an important scene but like there are these these moments where you're like god like why is he why are we still here and it's it's not for impatience i mean like the christmas there's it's fascinating to watch and it's beautiful um and it's sort of hypnotic in a way but you totally. you think about like the story he's trying to tell and how much like screen time we spend in these places and, you know, that conversation, Brantley, you brought up the, the, the sort of stoned conversation they have. That lasts mm. a long time, too. And you it's, can just imagine, like, yeah. they do they do it one way, and then it's like, well, maybe we don't really like that. Let's do it another way. And you imagine them sitting in that bedroom for, like, months and months and months shooting that scene. And you can imagine just, like, because these are so such long scenes, like, getting the right tone, um, and finding, finding it like while you're shooting it is, is maybe where this time went. But, um, well, let's move on. I mean, what, so what did you guys think? I mean, do you guys like this movie? Where does it rank for you amongst I love other, it. other, uh, Kubrick movies? Do you love it, Lee?
1: I, I remember, I remember seeing this movie for the first time, however many years ago. And, and I remember watching it and being like probably the same way everybody was and being like this is not what i expected at all like i was right i I Mm -hmm. have very vivid memories of of 1999 seeing this uh kind of iconic image of of and kidman on the side of a bus this like the poster shot and like it was the big billboard on the side of a bus like it's always showing this movie and and all the advertisements for it and just like you know, obviously as the the ten year old that I that I was, or the fifteen year old that I was, I guess, at the time, obviously wanting to see it, but um for totally different reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah, we um, should say in nineteen ninety nine Jeremy would say that we were like starting college in nineteen ninety nine. We yeah, we're, were starting I high school. I was a freshman in high school in nineteen ninety nine, to be clear.
1: Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So fourteen, fifteen years old and when this movie came out and and then, seeing this movie and just being like, "Why did they market this movie this way like why like it's it's so one of you mentioned the the word hypnotic, it's so hypnotic, mm-hmm. and it's so like you you just want to follow these characters and like just go with Tom Cruise everywhere he goes, and like it's so interesting and Chapin you mentioned that like this movie's not about sex like you're you're he gets to this orgy and like you kind of only want to watch what is going on with him. Like, you're, you're so entranced by his journey in this movie and his motivations in this movie that, th- that it's just, it, it's, it's great. Like, I really have always loved this movie. I've, I've, I've seen it twice now recently because it was a, a little bit when we were talking about potentially doing a Kubrick retrospective, so I, I went back and watched it and then I watched it again this week to freshen up for the podcast. And, and you know, for a long movie and we're going to get into running times in a little bit, but for a long movie that's, you know, hard to define what it's about as we've covered, um, that has a a few, but not really any like major big linchpin plot points. I mean, there, there's definitely a couple things that drive the plot forward, but it's mostly just sort of this mood piece and this entrancing journey that Cruz goes on. That's fascinating to watch.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you, Lee. I, I, I'd only seen it one other time, probably in my late teens, maybe early 20s or something. And I remember just being like... not I didn't dislike it. I just was, you know, just kind of whatever on it. Um, but watching it again this time, I was kind of shocked how how engaged and and enthralling I found the film. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, it was just you know all these things were just things like i maybe like wasn't even paying attention to when i watched it before maybe i had other ideas about (laughs) what the film was maybe from the marketing or whatever and so the first time i'd seen it it just wasn't clicking but this time like everything was clicking i felt like and um i completely agree it was just it's such an engrossing movie and and it really does just make you want to watch what is happening with them even though there's in some ways not very much you know it's sort of um like just this very kind of domestic film about this family um and you know neither one of them ends up cheating on the other it's just kind of talking about like fantasies and things that and seeing kind of the things that they could do to to you know cheat on the other and it yeah, it, it, one could argue that really nothing happens in this movie, and to to either of the main characters, um, when we see really that there's a lot going on around them on the periphery. I guess.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. He does go through this kind of mind field and down the rabbit's hole, and and comes out rather unscathed. I mean, he he might be a yeah. little, he might be a little bit emotionally fraught at the end, but um,
2: yeah. Considering considering the people that he's like skirting danger with, it, you know, and and what he, you know, does, and then you're right, he comes out essentially unscathed, except just yeah, emotionally scarred maybe, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting.
0: It's funny to see how the film has <laughs> lived on. Um, you know, I, I I just I'm so fascinated with the the choices he makes in this movie, and um, there are I don't know if you guys in your research stumbled on this stuff, but there are so many. Um, sort of outlandish, like mostly like YouTube videos about how this movie is about the Illuminati and, you know, they had Kubrick knew. Yeah. They had Kubrick killed because of this movie. Yeah. And, um, and there's all this bullshit about, about that. And, and I don't know. I mean, Maybe I don't know that's that, true. I don't know that they're ro- I don't know well, that they're wrong. I mean, I don't think they had him killed, but I, <laughs> I mean, it is interesting to make, to say, to t- take a movie about, um, a marriage essentially, and then throw it into this context of a secret society. And, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking as you were saying that Brantley, when we, when we're walking through, I guess what's supposed to be FAO Schwartz or, or the toy store at the end of the movie, mm. um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see the look on Kubrick's face or on, on Cruz's face. And, and you, you you understand what he's gone through. We've gone through it as, as you said, Lee with him. And we've been fascinated by it to watch, you know, almost through his eyes and you wonder like and it, you know it doesn't it, it, you know he's not really um I, I, don't, I don't doesn't seem like anybody's looking for him anymore um he's not going to reveal anything i don't know that he knows anything to to reveal anyways um mm-hmm. but it's interesting to think like i wonder like what like what was the point of including all this secret society stuff and and it you know it, it, it you could have you could have um you know had him go to some orgy and you know and the in had a good in, time the village yeah like I mean he didn't have to go to the to some you know opulent secret society like that whole element is 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 both a huge part of the movie but ultimately at the end of it doesn't seem to have any effect on our final characters
1: well yeah I have a question yeah. about that uh, how do you guys feel about kind of this? Uh, a twist of sorts But really more the um, You know th- What this secret society Supposedly or, or creates the impression That they do like that they murder This hooker and then they you know They they murder Nick Nightingale uh, Todd Fields character and that they They're you know they threaten him And then and then It's just kind of all explained away Like it, the, they were just kidding like we're just trying To scare you like d- Do you feel like that was sort of like I don't know, hamfisted in there and not really the, the same movie. Like that was that to me was like them trying to force these Lynch plot points into the movie that didn't really need them. And maybe it did
2: need them, but I don't know. I mean, it, that well, was the I weak had a question part of the about movie that. I well, I had a question. Are we are we actually as the audience supposed to believe that that was really the case? Or is it just Sidney Pollack's character trying to explain away what they did to Tom oh, Cruise a in a way that seemed... Yeah, because I I kind of didn't know whether I'm supposed to believe Sidney Pollack or not. Uh, you know, I could, I could totally see it either way. And, you know, maybe that's the kick that sends Tom Cruise back to Nicole and makes him be like, you know, I should be happy with what I have here in my family and not be, like, searching out beyond it. But... You know, I don't know. I, I kind of when I was watching it again, kind of reading it like Sidney Pollack's just sat, sort of trying to get Tom Cruise to stop digging deeper. I'd actually never
1: thought of that. But that's an interesting perspective. I mean, that totally could be the case. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I have no idea what you know which way it's supposed to be played. But when I was watching it, that's kind of how I was reading it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit like The Shining. You know, like you you leave not really knowing what happened. Um, and sound it's, like Kubrick. It's not. It's not like an open-ended. I mean, it's 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 not. It's not. I don't think Kubrick is like an ambiguous filmmaker. You know what I mean? But I do think that he he may refuse to answer questions that perhaps he doesn't think are necessary, or or rather that he doesn't want you to focus on. Um, you know I also what I mean? think his
1: movies are so dense. Like he covers so much. Yeah. Like, and a lot of a lot of his movies are about like human psyche and those are things that you know none of us really have exact answers for so in that way they're they're uh ambiguous but I don't think yeah I don't think he's intentionally trying to hide the truth from us I just think he's posing questions that have difficult answers or are hard to answer what do you guys Can think this movie oh sorry oh, go ahead. what do you guys think this like where do you guys think this Compares to his other movies, and not necessarily in quality, but just like in theme. Like we talked about, The Shining. Um, You know, you can kind of see the parallels there. Um, You know, but then you, of course, you have movies like Spartacus and Full Metal Jacket that seemingly are very different, but it's obviously the same filmmaker. You can kind of tell watching it that it's the same filmmaker, but he does seem to have like two start two types of things that he'll do like you know the the clockworks and space odysseys and you know eyes wide shuts and shinings and then you know full metal jacket dr strange love although that's a comedy but like they're a little bit
2: more i don't know arguably set in reality i guess Hmm. yeah i think so i i'm not as versed on kubrick probably as as you two are but i will say like um I feel like I was pulling more themes out of this than I was in some of his other films like I feel like I was seeing like a bunch of different ones that I could kind of see and analyze um like 2001 I don't I don't think I could possibly understand that film I think it's dealing with a lot of big themes that I probably don't understand as much as I like like the film and think it's like beautiful and everything. Um, but I, I will say, like, I, he's definitely dealt with class before. Like, one of my other favorite um, Kubrick films is Paths of Glory. And that's all about how, yeah. like, the, the, the higher-ups in the French military, the generals and everything, lead these opulent, wonderful lives, not having to do anything... Uh, you know, not any fighting, whereas all the actual grunts are, you know, in the trenches, in these awful, like, brutal battles over, like, these tiny pieces of land, basically, that where there's just massacring of people constantly, and yet it's the generals who are deciding to, you know, um, uh, put together a firing squad to kill some of the soldiers for what they say was cowardice, when, uh, you know, in actuality it wasn't... Uh, really the case
0: and barry linden too is a lot about class as well mm,
2: yeah that's when i have to see again yep but i'm not really rushing out to see that one again <laughs> <laughs> i i have not seen barry linden and, and it, it seemed like kind of a weird creepy movie right that's where he's like dating like much younger girl right
0: um no that's i think that is um that's no that's um What's
2: oh, I must be confusing it with something like Lolita. Lolita, or yeah,
0: no, Barry Lynn is the one. Uh, he, he's like an Irish, like sort of guy. He's like a he's like a, a commoner, I think, who then like aspires to be one of the you know ruling class, and it's kind of about his ascension to that. Um, I guess what I think is striking about this film, which I feel like it compares a little bit to The Shining, is that it's about this, or this sort of this family, or rather this marriage. Um, I mean, there's something to be said that, like, I don't think... Like, Nicole Kidman is not... For being, like, the front and center of the poster, which you referenced, Lee, and posted on our Instagram, um, and you can, like, barely tell it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's just, like... He, yeah. he, I mean, it's obviously he has, like, an aesthetic fascination with her, which I, I totally don't blame him for, but um, right. it, it she's not in the movie nearly as much. Tom Cruise is in every scene. Oh. And I, mm-hmm. I think that, like... Um, I don't know. It's like it's the the sort of the small the, the the sort of the focus of it on those two people. you know you think of Doctor Strangelove and, and um, you know even even uh, Clockwork Orange and um, a Space Odyssey. They are to some degree or another folk. You know, there's occupied by a couple of people, but um, this film just seems very much about those those two people and what they're going through. Um, I mean, there are the sort of the added distractions of, like I said, the, the the secret society and stuff like that, which I don't feel like we've totally unpacked, but mm. I, I don't know, that stro- struck me as being a little bit unique here, that it's, um, it really is about a marriage and um, the two people who are in the marriage. Um,
2: well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Chapin, because it it really struck me watching this, that like after the first, I don't know, 45 minutes or something, Nicole Kidman, like Disappears from this movie essentially, and it's like just Tom Cruise almost exclusively until you get towards the end. Um, and I, I think that that kind of ties back into this idea of like the theme of misogyny within the film, right? Like, we're talking about this marriage, and a marriage like should hopefully be like an equal uh, relationship, right? And yet, the vast majority of the screen time goes to Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman has uh, recently lost her job, so she's decided to, like, sacrifice and stay home and be the stay-at-home mom, right? So it's almost like the film begins to forget about her as it begins to focus more on Tom Cruise. And then, you know, once we're talking about getting back into the this elite society, you know, the woman who sacrifices herself, so to speak, to save Tom Cruise, right? Um, you know, it just kind of ties right back into, you know, women sacrificing for um, the man.
1: Yeah, the flip side of that, though, is you could look at this as, like, Nicole Kidman sort of calls the shots here in this movie in in sort of a Mm -hmm. um, behind-the-scenes way. I mean, like, everything that Tom Cruise does in this movie is because of what she told him she did. And that sort of drives the whole movie forward. And then all all the way up to the end where she very bluntly says, hey, we need to go home and fuck now. Like, like she seems like she's kind of running him. You know, they... Mm -hmm. um, you know they go to this this party and and you know she she uh leads the conversation about you know uh when they get back about what the, what he was doing like what were you doing with those two models because even though she was dancing with this guy that clearly wanted to go and have sex with her you know she's she's the one that kind of begins the accusations so i feel like she is sort of like leading the way even though she's not in the movie very much and i agree that this does you know explore the idea of misogyny and and you know the the, uh gender roles i guess but it it sort of turns that on its head on us a little bit subtly and shows us that you know as maybe as men and and they do sort of have a line that says it she's like if you men only knew yeah uh you know like that's sort of pointing to us as male audience members being like yeah you you think you got this all figured out but you know I'm gonna tell you the story Tom and now you're gonna and this is gonna literally set you off on a pretty dangerous evening so you know you almost look at it as like okay yeah there's that misogynistic aspect but really Kubrick's you know having the female play puppeteer here
0: I mean she's that's well, she's certainly the most the more interesting of the two, right? Like she especially mm-hmm. in that first scene, he's not very um I mean, he's kind of like superfluously flirting with those two yeah. models and but he's not doing a very good job and he's not very interesting. But she seems to be having a pretty great time with that um I don't know, yeah, what yeah, is like he, a colonel or, or something yeah. or and 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 she she has the he you know, he gives her this very basic kind of um rudimentary you know, you know pop kind of anthropologic explanation of you know male and female gender roles and then she you know exposes to him that she had this like intense fantasy and she's got the courage to admit to admit that to him. I mean, granted she's a little stoned, but she's she has the courage to admit that to him. And then to 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 further explain, to make it even more interesting, that she later felt so much love for him after that intensity of attraction. Um, yeah. and he just can't seem to like either digest that or understand the complexity of what she's saying. Um, and or instead understand the
1: complexity of like a, a, a woman's desire. I yeah, think.
0: Like, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to yeah. say? Brandon? See, I,
2: well, see, I, it's interesting both your points. Cause I, 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 Absolutely agree, Chapin. That you know she's essentially showing him that his like idea of like what women are and what you know whatever is completely inaccurate. And she's like admitting to him this desire that she has within this fantasy, and and rather than her pulling the string,ly I read it as essentially him his his male ego being so fragile that like he couldn't handle it, and that's what sends him down this kind of tailspin of everywhere he looks he's seeing desire and all these options that he has because it wounded him so much or it broke him so much that his wife god forbid has desires for someone else besides him right literally broke his brain yeah and it but that ties back in this idea that she should be you know maybe not subservient but she should be like for him only and and not have this possible desire for anybody else and I think that kind of comes back again towards that scene at the very end when he um, comes home and there's the mask in the bed. So like the mask is off him now and essentially like he's laid bare and she can see that he's had this desire. And uh, even though they don't really, I don't think have a scene where he kind of, you know, talks about it. Uh, I think that that's what that final scene is, is getting at too.
1: So can I just say like, and, and I, I don't know, I could be like over-interpreting this shot, but like when that mask is on the mm-hmm. bed, like, the lighting and the way that that shot's composed, like it literally looks like there's a person there lying in the mm. bed. Like, and maybe that's like him seeing like what could have been or something, somebody else, you know, lying in his marital bed with his wife. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm like reading way too into that shot, but I, I thought these masks were like so fascinating. <laughs> like, the, like, mm. kind of the, the specific looks and uh, that that they gave the characters and then again with that last shot but I mean I think this is a movie that it's you you certainly are welcome to read too much into things like it it sort of sets you up for that and but maybe that I think most Kubrick
2: films are like that yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) yeah I didn't think of it as someone else in the bed I I'd seen it more like his mask is now off and and she sees her husband for what he had been trying to hide from her you know right. like he hid the rest of the costume so that she wouldn't see that he had rented it and everything like that and uh and now she sees him for who she is but i i completely agree that that would work just as well but yeah you're right i mean we're we're probably all reading <laughs> way too much into so most movies of just about film, sex and orgies yeah <laughs> well or or, or if Kubrick was series like oh god guys no this is one of the themes i was talking about at all <laughs> like where, where are you guys getting this <laughs> Yeah, Good. I don't. Th- I don't know if anyone could really understand Kubrick and his
1: Kubrick's and his like films I'm. Since... I'm 70 years old. I just. I just want to see Nicole Kidman naked.
0: <laughs> Feedback and get your. Well, that's the 400 days, podcast, right? Yeah, for
2: 400 days, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Oh, can I say? Uh, you don't have to. Obviously, you can cut this out. This, but if the Illuminati really was like this movie was really about the Illuminati and them, uh, you know, taking out Kubrick, they did a piss poor job because the movie still came out yeah, like if yeah. They wanted to, if <laughs> and they it actually like really made a lot of powerful. money too <laughs> yeah if they were all powerful they would have just like stolen the masters or whatever the film had like gotten rid of it yeah broke into the uh,
0: editing suite or something
2: yeah exactly uh, it's kind
1: of interesting that i mean this movie didn't like go nuts but and it didn't do great in, uh domestically but worldwide it it did well i mean hundred hundred sixty two million 162 million dollars worldwide um, you know, not certainly not the numbers we're used to seeing nowadays, but for the type of movie that it is that, you know, had to CGI some people in there to skirt an NC-17 rating, that's an impressive uh, um, haul. Hey,
0: guys. Thanks for picking me up. Oh, oh. Oh.
2: Excuse me, are you Neil Patrick Harris? Yep. Oh, oh my god, what are you doing here? Holy
1: shit. Dude, Doogie Howser, M.D. was like my favorite show growing up. You were my idol. Yeah, that's great. Can we get going? I'm bored as shit back here. Go. Go. Let's go. It's a freaking boring spot. So, uh, so I gotta ask you, Neil, uh, did you ever get it on with Wando off the set? Dude, I humped every piece of ass ever on that show. Even the chick who played the hot nurse? No. I didn't go all the way with her. Neil, you wouldn't happen to know how to get on the highway from here, would you? Dude, I don't even know where the fuck I am right now. I was at this party earlier tonight, and some guy hooked me up with this incredible ex, and next thing I know, I'm being thrown out of a moving car. I've been tripping balls ever since. That's crazy, dude. You know, we've been having a pretty crazy night, too. We've just been driving around looking for White Castle, but we keep getting sidetracked. Yeah, dude, you fascinate me. Forget White Castle, let's go get some pussy. Huh? It's a fucking sausage fest
2: in here, bros. Let's get us some tang, Then we'll go to White Castle.
1: No, Neil, you don't understand. We've been craving these burgers all night.
2: Yeah, I've been craving burgers too. Fur burgers. Come on, dudes. Let's
1: pick up some trim at a strip club. The Doogie line always works on strippers.
2: Lap
0: dance. So this week's top five is our top five cinematic... What is it again? Cinematic you know, nights, single long nights, nights? Long nights. Long nights our top 5 cinematic long nights and um yeah you know what i was surprised guys that uh there're quite a lot of movies that t- take place in either one day but even one there was a lot of options for this more than i was yeah, expecting they were. Yeah. yeah but
1: yeah, i sure. feel like
0: we still will have a lot of crossover
1: uh yeah mm-hmm. hopefully i have some honorable mentions that we can substitute if we run into that uh um, yeah
0: uh lee but. please i i i i i have a feeling you could ruin a couple of mine by making it this your whatever honorary list so i don't
1: uh, have an honorary list so <laughs> okay, good good no nope, <laughs> not this time
0: okay brantley why don't you sort us off since you are our guest with some criteria and you're number five.
2: Oh well thank you uh So Criteria, I didn't have anything too stringent. It wasn't like the whole film had to take place only over one night. I kind of read it as if there is like one long, harrowing night within it, um, then that would count, even if it isn't the whole film taking place in that. Um,
0: That is is more appropriate to Eyes Wide Shut, which is the case, right?
2: Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's kind of part of what um, led me there. (laughs) Now, (laughs) I do want to do a... Four way tie for number five. Hello, welcome back, Brantley. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they're all the same director, but I, it's it, they're all for John Carpenter films. So we should have been more specific that we don't do top there. nines.
0: <laughs> yeah, everybody's running the right, sure. so I
2: I I won't I won't do that. But I I I was putting together a couple. Of, I was like oh God yeah, and so does this film and this film. No, I, I think you're fine.
0: Carpenter you should <laughs> do your do your tie. Do your four way tie.
2: Okay, all right. So it's a it's a four way tie between Halloween, Escape from New York, The Thing, and Assault on Precinct 13, all by John Carpenter. Um, I did
1: think of three th- of you know. those. Halloween was the one I hadn't thought of, but the other three I did think of.
2: Yeah, I mean technically Halloween. There's a couple days like, before the the main day and evening that it takes place during. But, yeah, the, the bulk of those take place over mostly one night, essentially.
0: Yeah, awesome. So,
2: so the, yeah, that was going to – that's that's my five, my four-way tie, and it's my, my shout-out to John So, Carpenter. can
0: I quickly make a confession to you, Brantley? Um, I sure. I love The Thing. Like, The Thing might be one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies, um, but I recently watched Halloween for the first time, like, I think – on Halloween of last year, which I mean is a, oh. a, a a shame to begin with, but I I actually didn't really like it that much. Oh, okay, that's all I, right, man. I mean,
2: we all is have our that, own is that Okay.
1: Well, look of the of course, what's interesting is of the I don't know classic slasher horror films, which Brantley, as you know, I despise. Uh, mm-hmm. Halloween I liked. I liked John Carpenter a lot, so that could have something to do with it. And I mean, another director that I think does mood really well. Um, on a much more yeah. low budget scale than uh, Mr. Kubrick but um, mm-hmm. yeah I liked Halloween the thing I also like um, the other two I don't remember very well Escape from New York I've seen recently but
0: yeah okay all right. yep. am I uh, up? yeah why don't you go Lee
1: so the only criteria I considered and it it doesn't apply to all of them because I I, I didn't feel like it was totally necessary was that over the course of this night things needed to not go as planned uh, for the characters. Um, that was okay. sort of the, something I was looking for uh, as I was assembling my list, but you know, looking over my picks, it doesn't totally apply to all of them. However, uh, my number five, I'm going with American Graffiti. Mm. Um, this mm. has been a long time since I've seen this movie, but it, it's always one that kind of sticks with me. Oddly because, like, uh, <laughs> which doesn't make sense, but like, it, it has a nostalgic feel to To it for me. No, I certainly didn't mm-hmm. have a childhood during the period in which this film takes place, but, you know, I I, I remember, you know, when I was younger uh, listening to a lot of the same music because my dad would be listening to it and some of these, you know, oldies from that time period and, you know, of course, Richie Cunningham and Han Solo and Matt Hooper uh, all, all favorites of mine at the time, so there's a nostalgic piece to this movie that, you know, I always kind of latch on to. Um, but, of course, this takes place on the, the last night of summer vacation um, before uh, some of them go off to college, some of them stay home. I, the the quote-unquote last night of summer vacation is was never like this for us, I don't think, when we were kids. It's too bad. I can't even imagine mm. what it's like now with, you know, social media and everything.
2: <laughs> yeah no i'm I'm with you Lee. I, I I think that movie works across generations as a nostalgic thing because it's it's more about the that longing of freedom you have as like a teen and everything and and then like seeing your whole life and ha- ahead of you and opportunities that are gonna await you and that sort of thing yeah. so I completely agree yeah I mean obviously having not grown up in the fifties i that movie makes me very nostalgic as well
0: okay um I have to admit, I also, I don't, I'm not even sure I've seen that movie, which I know is also a shame. Um, so, guys, my number five, I had a much more pretentious pick, but I realized that I don't really remember this movie that well. And so, <laughs> a lot of times when we list these these sort of arbitrary Jeremy, top Jeremy would have gone for it. Uh, yes yeah, true, yeah. He, he would have been his number one. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, a lot of times when we have these kind of arbitrary topics, I, like something just pops into my mind immediately and it's not like the best film or, uh, you know, necessarily one I even like, but, uh, it, it'll, it's the sort of the first thing I think of. And, um, that in this case, it was this movie, which I, I honestly, I could not even remember the name of the movie or when it came out, but it, I, after I looked it up, it it's that, that movie the night before featuring, uh, Seth Rogen, uh, JGL and, um, uh, oh,
1: no, the Christmas movie.
0: Yeah, no. oh no. my God. Okay. So
1: this like this movie, so I don't know if you've heard this this Chapin, but like this <laughs> comes up with Liddy all the time, and I'm sure Jeremy has heard it. like I have this like like horrible fear of like a bad drug trip. and I don't do drugs, mm. but <laughs> this movie like made me sick watching Seth Rogan like trip through the night. Watching, it and I'm like, I can't. What if this ever happens to me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe it's more, maybe this movie is more meaningful than we think.
1: Yeah, no, this is, this had a yeah. profound effect on me. I don't do drugs because of it.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah,
2: so I'll be honest. I, sorry, no, go no I'm no, go ahead. I was, I was gonna be like, I, I was not a very big fan. No, of this and I, I and before.
0: I'm not either. I mean, but, but what's interesting, what oh. I think is interesting about. When we do these arbitrary top five topics, it's like the the idea of these, like the first thing that pops into your mind and why it does. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I did not find this film that good or memorable. I could not, literally, could not remember the name of it. I had to go through, (laughs) I went through Seth Rogen's filmography and like it's so dense that I couldn't find, I couldn't figure out which one it was. So then I went to JGL's and I'm like, oh, okay, there, that's what it was. And then I started to remember more and more. um, Because I mean, this movie is a lot like, uh, I think, um another film is is uh, it, I mean uh, the there's a couple movies like made by like uh, roughly the same people that are take place all in one night and kind of feature this the same kind of plot. Um so yeah, that's my uh, rather interesting number 5, but it was a you got to go with your subconscious, you know, once in a while for these lists.
1: Sure. Yep. I'm, I'm just terrified of that movie. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, so my number four. This is kind of a um, uh, personal one, since I, I really like this film, and it is The Warriors by Walter Hill. Oh, yeah, um, I it's it always been like a cult favorite of mine. I've liked it for you know a couple decades now. I guess uh, maybe like a decade and a half. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a gang trying to get back to their their neighborhood and and having to fight all the other gangs in uh, in uh, New York. New York, relatable for you, probably. Yeah, yeah. New York, yeah, yeah. Yeah, New York or L. A. God, oh my God, New York. it sounds awful, but I don't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the Yankees, just yeah, of course, i never seen. Anyway, so the Warriors. Oh, it's a it's a blast, man. Have you ever heard like the um, Warriors? They get spoofed all the time. Yeah,
0: come out to come play. Out and
2: play. Oh, have you ever heard well, that? Well, I have now. I don't <laughs> okay. even need to see <laughs> they it. They spoof it in. They spoof it in uh... Like community in one episode, I think they're like study group, come out and play. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Chapin. Coincidentally,
1: uh, my number four is the first one that came to my mind, starring among others Seth Rogen. Super bad.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. That was a, that's what that was another one I was thinking of. Great film.
1: I mean, it's such a good movie, and and like this is this i unlike American graffiti, like I suppose we could relate to a little bit more in terms of like you know that overnight um i don't know what you call they go on <laughs> adventure um and you know bonding with your friends and girls and trying to get girls and trying to get alcohol, and not that I ever did that, but. I mostly just drag raced my uh, hot rods and stuff, yeah, you were cooler.
0: um no, yeah. absolutely i mean I, I, that uh, a similar topic might come up again in this top five, but also I mean, I think the like end of high school you know night out movie is is like a- ge- subgenre all of its own.
1: Oh, totally
0: mm-hmm. um, but that being said, i'm going to go in a completely different direction. uh It's my turn, right? My number four yep. is die hard.
2: Oh, great pick. As a great, great,
0: um, there is something kind of, uh, sort of, something that makes sense about an action movie taking place in like a confined period of time, um, and it, it just sort of elevates the stakes. I think, I think it's, I think that's a s- sort of a. It's not something you think of right away with Die Hard. Like I had to see it on a list and be like, oh, of course. Um, yeah. But it, but it, it is so much. It makes so much sense in terms of building the tension for the film, and you know, both on the John McClane side and the sort of the terrorist side. You know, you and 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 I would wager that if we took a closer look at uh, action movies, that you'd find this to be uh, more common than we 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 probably would think initially. Um, that uh, that a lot of this stuff takes place in a very sort of confined period of time, um, and yeah, I just think it. Uh, they follow the same kind of uh, pattern for the. For the the following two films, and I think it worked worked well. This is this yeah. is
1: the movie that like I this is kind of what I picture when we were discussing this like this long night. You know, at the end of the movie, you know, your protagonist like like slowly comes outside, bloody and tired, and like it's just been, like that like that's what I pictured. I was like trying to think of more movies like that, and, and in best case scenario, it was like the morning. You know, they come outside, and, like, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. And they just, like, went through the most harrowing night of their life. And, like, Die Hard, like, almost perfectly sums that up, with the exception that he got things done a little more efficiently. It's still
2: nighttime when he's done.
0: Right. Yep.
2: Yep. No, it's a great, great pick. All right. Uh, My number three, uh, I'm going to... Uh, Say in the horror genre or horror adjacent genre, and go with uh, *Night of the Living Dead*, the original by jo- George Romero. Um, takes place almost entirely over the one night. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent movie. I don't know if you guys have. Um, I've never seen, seen it, it no. but oh, it's great. I mean, his whole his original trilogy with *Night of the Living Dead*, *Dawn of the Dead*, and *Day of the Dead* is just uh, like phenomenal social commentary. Like this one comes out in the late 60s, it's uh obviously has deep ties with the civil rights movement. I mean, you have a black male actor as your lead in this film. Oh, wow. And then and then of course like they survive the night in this house that they've like hold themselves up in, you know, the the black character is like, you know, barking orders at, you know, these white characters that are around him and everything, which that alone would have been shocking. Uh, yeah, that wasn't in allowed the, in the late sig- 1968. In <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, of course, talk about, like, you know, even being relevant today. Like, the, the sun comes up. They've survived the day. And the, the, the cops who are out, like, shooting zombies, like, see him in the window and shoot him in the head. Oh, sorry. I don't mean to ruin the movie for you the, guys. Sorry, you, you ruined the side, that,
1: but, uh, that 50-year-old movie. <laughs>
2: that 50-something-year-old movie. <laughs> but like, And he's killed by the cops in the morning because they just, you know, they assume he's a zombie. But it also, you know, it ties into the social commentary. Yeah, the totally and then yeah and then dawn of the dead is about how uh romero saw the boomer generation completely like losing these ideals that um you know they had in the 60s and like buying into commercialism and that's why it's set in a mall and everything and then day of the dead is his like um you know his critique of the reagan administration and like um the military industrial complex and things like that Th- that whole trilogy is really really excellent okay but i'm going to that awesome. a little bit yeah
1: my number three, perhaps summing up the idea of things not going as planned over the course of one night. Now, this movie takes place really over the course of I would say like twenty-four hours, um, but the uh, a bulk of it takes place over one long night, uh, and it is Jurassic Park.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that being over one night. Yeah
1: so they the, te- no, the a T-Rex a- attack of course and um, which is you know the most iconic aspects of the movie takes place overnight uh, before they fall asleep up in the tree and um, and try to get through the rest of the movie but uh, yeah I mean this again is another one for me that I just think of like you think of this movie taking place at night we talked about it on the podcast when we uh, went back and reviewed Jurassic Park for its uh, 25th anniversary that you know that was a, a smart choice by Spielberg to have it nighttime and raining and it kind of you know hid the um, uh, flaws aren't the right word but kind of
0: the yeah the visual (laughs) effects
1: the visual effects that were still Mm. um, you know not quite where they are now so it was a smart choice and you know it obviously also adds to the you know intensity and suspense and um, you know scariness of the movie
0: that's a great pick I wouldn't even thought of that okay uh, is it my turn my number three is uh, Spike Lee's Twenty Fifth Hour. Um, mm. I just uh, this is also kind of a, uh, a a twist on the high school last night or uh, the first night of freedom or whatever last night of freedom um, high school kind of drama though they're much older um, and Edward Norton is going to jail the next morning and he's got one last night out with his friends um, and a lot of things come out and it's kind of like I mean it is like <laughs> looking at my list lo- it is also set in New York and you know the kind of the craziness of that city late night and it's got this you know it's a whole nother world and um you know a lot is a lot a lot of lot goes down between those three friends and and his girlfriend and um I mean I I think this is a kind of a criminally underrated movie but um it's also quite interesting and yeah that's my number three it's yeah a great pick. I completely
2: agree I think yeah, I think it's one of his most underrated films. You know, when you think Spike Lee and his, like, pantheon of, you know, amazing films, like, no one really talks about it. But I think this is one of his probably top five or six best that he's done. Okay. My number two, um, you know, you went with one of the first ones you thought of, uh, Chapin, when you we decided on this list. And so my number two is the first film I thought of. It's also kind of a... Uh, little love letter to my wife because this is the first film in her favorite trilogy i really like the film as well but she's the much bigger fan in this household and that is before sunrise um with ethan hawk and oh i'm blanking on the actress who is that? julie, julie delby. delby yes yes exactly uh that one it pre- takes place almost entirely in the evening as well. So it kind of fit the bill better besides just uh, starting off the trilogy as well. And
0: where are they in that one? Are they in Paris or <sighs> um, Amsterdam? Or something? I think it's V I th- Vienna. I think you're it's right, Vienna. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the beginning they're on a train and it, it's, they get off in Vienna. Yeah. Yep. So that's mine. That's, uh, gotta be careful if uh Ethan Hawke ever came and knocked on the door I think my wife would turn into Cole Kidman and leave me in a second without even a thought so <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> well she didn't act on it she, don't forget Ethan Hawke of all no, people no she, she <laughs> might not oh she loves
2: Ethan Hawke that's weird He's number one with a bullet easily yeah and for a long time since you know forever yep she loves Ethan Hawke
0: wow all right
2: Elite.
1: my number two um I believe this does, in fact, take place over the course of, of one night. However, there are some flashbacks throughout, but the movie, um, you know, present-day timeline of the movie is over the course of one night. It is Casablanca. Does it? I think it does. And I had to, like, I was kind of going and just trying to confirm that, but basically, um, you know, the, we open at, at an evening at Rick's, and Ilsa shows up and, you know, then they close up shop. She visits him later that night when he's drunk and talking to Sam. And then I think basically the next morning is when they go to the
2: airport, right?
0: Uh, the, is it? No. I believe it is. He, isn't, what, isn't that whole line when he's like, oh, all the gin joints. That's like he's that's, like, that's, that's one night. And then the no, next morning –
1: no, that's the same night. Later that night, Elsa comes to visit him. Really? Yeah, I think so. All Feedback right. at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com but I think I'm right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Hmm. It's been too long for me. I, it's been too long since I've seen it to weigh in. I, I do not recall it. Okay, my number I mean, two. Look, if it, you know,
1: either way, there's it, it, at the very least there's a couple long nights for Rick in this movie, so it still fits the criteria.
0: I mean, it seems like every night is pretty long for Rick.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, the funny, the irony is that with like any top five list that's possible, we all aspire to be him.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, dead at 59. Okay. So um, my number two is uh, my high school film um, of the entry, and that's Dazed and Confused. Um i think this movie takes place in like what like 12 hours or something it's like the ultimate hangout movie um what i love about this film is it's so good and it just it it it, even though it's set in the 70s like you can still sort of relate to it um i I just it it just reminds me of like I, i had a couple of those when i was in high school where like you're literally just sort of out until dawn um and you know it's not always a fun night but it's certainly memorable and um yeah, I just it, it sort sort of captures that that the that kind of that burgeoning freedom you have when you're when you you know have a car or someone a friend has a car or something and you're able to cruise the town till the wee hours of the morning.
1: Richard Linklater getting a lot of love on this. Uh, yeah, top five.
0: I think he made. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Doesn't this, he make a lot of movies no, like
1: that? Well, he did like a. I don't. know They tried to market it as like a, a sequel with that everybody wants some movie yeah Um, yes
2: spiritual sequel I think they called it yeah I never
1: saw it actually I don't know I can't remember for sure if I've seen um and Confused but um everybody wants them Mm -hmm. I mean I'm looking at 83 on Metacritic so it seems like people liked it um but it's Mm -hmm. he's got an interesting career because I mean he he like he keeps going back to this uh before sunrise story he's done it three times Mm -hmm. and supposedly I, I guess he might not be done with that um
2: uh, oh, interesting.
1: Although, whenever I hear, like, him or Ethan Hawke talking about that, that how they, like, every 10 years go back, I, I want to freaking punch them. Like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, we might go back. We want to see what those characters are up to. The, the sequel to, like, to
0: the, the fourth movie is going to be Eyes Wide Shut, because in the third movie, they're married <laughs> with kids, and, like, yeah. their marriage is falling apart.
2: Yeah. Um. That's good. Does Linklater have a thing for the number twelve? Because I didn't realize Dazed and Confused was over twelve hours, and Boyhood's over twelve years. Or is that just a coincidence? Yeah, that right? might be
0: coincidence. Because I, 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 it oh, may okay. not be
2: over twelve hours. Maybe twenty-four hours. Okay. All right. Well, I'm uh, my, uh number one time. I'm gonna call an audible here because uh, Chapin said my number one earlier with uh, which was originally going to be Die Hard. So I'm gonna oh, change it up, and I'm. No, 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 no. It's fine. I, I had a couple others, so uh, I'm happy to slot this in. And I will say uh, another Tom Cruise film, Collateral, damn it. for my number one. F- oh, did I, did I ruin sake. your list?
0: <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew did it was going to be Lee's, but it can't be all of our top, yeah.
2: our <laughs> no, number ones. That's why. Okay, you know what? I originally left it off because I was like, oh, it'll definitely come up on this list. So I guess I took a gamble there that you know it wasn't your top, guys' top ones. But well, I guess God, it was. we're having a hard time lately, like, with, yeah. with uh, <laughs> These repeats,
1: <laughs> it's always at number one, so we can't slot new things in. No.
0: Is that your number one, too, <laughs> yeah. Lee?
1: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it was 25th Hour was my number one, but I moved some things around and Collateral ended up there. Um, I don't really have anything that's worthy it's of fine. replacing it at this point. It's okay. They, we can have ties. So it's my number one, as I mean, well. it's fantastic. I mean, we obviously, I mean, and yeah. you are probably the biggest Michael Mann fan of all of us, but I love him, too, and... I don't know. I go back and forth between this and probably The Insider is my favorite movie of his.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, I've been Chapin Hemingway. Brantley, thank you so much for joining us. You may have to join us again, or we may get to have you again, I should say, since uh, things are heating up over there in Boston on the the old film sets for Jeremy. And, uh, all right, that's going to do it. Uh, we'll see you next week for another I was podcast. also here. Oh, yeah. No, Lee, well, Lee, you're always here, so I didn't want to. I mean, I'm never going to say, like, going to point you out. Well, and you're always Lee,
1: there, too. You, you, you reintroduced yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Lee, and Lee is here, too, stealing people's top fives. Okay. Thank you for joining us.
1: I'm staying Finishing my coffee. Enjoying
0: my coffee. Um and this week, uh speak, <laughs> speaking of beaver, we're gonna be looking at the I can't say that. Okay. <laughs> and this week
1: Oh my god, no, you have to <laughs> <laughs>